0: forward for from the frontline tonight we are dealing with confronting idolatry and paganism today in the studio with me is dr peter hammond the founder of frontline fellowship who has been involved in serving persecuted christians for over 40 years in 38 countries dr hammond recently one of the regular spectacles with which the globalists attempt to mesmerize the world's population took place in the industrial heartland of england please tell us what event it was and any relevant background information
1: Yes, well, the opening ceremony to the 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, England contained some bizarre scenes involving people revering a gigantic bull. I I might just add that Durban was meant to be the site of the Commonwealth Games 2022, but there were some financial issues, they said, which required it to be uh, redirected from Durban to Birmingham. So. One wonders what would have happened if it wasn't Durban. But anyway, so there was this bizarre scene involving women, 50 women, uh, carrying chains, pulling a chain, which um, made it look like they were pulling this bull into the arena. And uh, that's strange. It had to be women and uh, 50 of them. I'm sure there's some symbolism there. And uh, what they were doing is bringing in this massive bull. And you're talking about a 10-meter long, uh, 10-meter high Uh, um, uh, animatronic type of bull which could um, breathe out smoke and actually cry tears of blood. Uh, It was 10 meters high, uh, absolutely extraordinary thing, actually built around a forklift-like truck called a telehandler. And uh, which enabled it to have have all kinds of mobility. And they construct this bull of lightweight aluminium tube framing uh, covered with a dense foam outer skin. Now, uh, it's interesting the amount of money and effort that goes into these opening ceremonies. And uh, the the whole spectacle was was quite bizarre. Uh, Some of the people dancing around it and bowing down before, literally bowing down like heads bowed to the ground, uh, like they're worshipping this bull, Um, were dressed in the kind of outfits that looks like uh, they're not wearing any clothes at all, where it's a body colour suit. So from a distance in the stadium, it looked like actually naked people dancing around this this bull. And uh, it looked like ritualistic ball worship, actually. And uh, it seems our global elite love to have occultic opening ceremonies that brazenly going against the laws of God and against the well-being of a community because it looks like it's celebrating some kind of pagan idolatry. And remember, it's not just the people there. This is watched by hundreds of millions of people worldwide.
0: What was particularly striking about the event from your perspective as a missionary and historian?
1: Well, this is the sort of thing that you would expect uh, to see in uh, Canaan, in uh, the uh, Baal worship times, Asherah worship, uh, Moloch worship. This is It's just got such blatant, heathen, pagan, idolatrous overtones, that uh, to think that you've got vast amounts of people dancing around, bowing down, being chained to, there's a woman riding the beast as well, which is another biblical imagery from the book of Revelation, as a woman was on top of the, the bull, apparently riding it. Um, and uh, then these people are running around with shafts of, or shards of light, um, uh, offering it up like an offering to the bull. So the whole picture was of Dancing around the bull, bowing down to the bull, being chained to the bull, riding the bull, uh, offering, making some offerings to the bull. Uh, I don't know how people can watch us not think this is a religious ceremony. Um, And uh, there's people out there who might be occultists, Sabbataeans and so on, who revel in getting people who call themselves Christians to participate in What's obviously ball worship, uh, or at least if, even if they don't know how to identify it, it's occultic, it's anti-Christian, it's idolatrous. And I don't think you could get people who'd come out of idolatry, Satanism, occultism to participate in this because they'd immediately recognize that's what we were saved from. But sadly, there's a lot of Christians who say, oh, yeah, it's just a bit of harmless fun. I mean, what's wrong with that?
0: Um, you use the word idolatrous. Can you... Put idolatry into a biblical context?
1: Uh, yes. Well, first of all, uh, bear in mind that there's no sin in the Bible more mentioned, more condemned, more warned against than idolatry. Are there more denunciations against idolatry, more warnings against idolatry than any other sin in the whole Bible, both Old and New Testament? Idolatry is, in essence, rebellion against God. So, throughout the Bible, whenever God's word is proclaimed, the response of repentant people was to destroy the idols, not just throughout the Old Testament, where they would smash altars of Baal, tear down the altars of Baal, and Asherah worship. Now, bear in mind that Baal worship was symbolic of also human sacrifice. And... uh, So a Baal altar was a place where they would kill babies, which was part of a prosperity cult. The whole thing about Baal worship was that you have to sacrifice your child if you want better herds and greater prosperity. And Asherah worship was the same, and so was Moloch worship. These are all pagan religions of the Near East that the children of Israel had to encounter and deal with. But not only that kind of worship, but then you get the Asherah poles. And Asherah poles are pornographic and uh, was very much sexuality cults, And all of these religions tended to have priestesses who would be effectively temple prostitutes. So the picture of 50 women chained to the bull, pulling the chains, uh, pulling the bull out onto the uh, the arena, uh, also gives the impression of the Old Testament priestesses of pagan religions and uh, uh, the way they, they are dressed in such a way that it looks like they're not dressed. And then the dancing and the uh, bowing down and the offering <laughs> up these shards of lights as offerings to the bull, it all just conjures up a picture that is just so obviously um, idolatrous. So, I mean, you just think the uh, second commandment in Exodus 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, nor any likeness of anything under heaven above or on earth beneath or that anything is beneath the waters. You shall not bow down to them to worship them. And um, how clear is that?
0: before we continue uh, with our discussion of idolatry and bull worship uh, can you just tell us what uh, is, you know what is the significance of bull imagery in birmingham is there a heritage of this symbolism there and if so wouldn't that explain the this raging bull prop used in the opening ceremony
1: well i don't know if heritage is maybe the right word because <laughs> uh, birmingham is meant to be europe's youngest city it dates back to the um, industrial revolution and uh, when you think of the Jerusalem hymn, and it speaks about these dark satanic mills, uh, he was writing about Birmingham in particular, which is where a lot of, if you've come across some of the like hard times of Dickens' writings, he's, he's writing about Birmingham, even though he uses another name, uh, these uh, towns that are just covered in soot and uh, unhealthy and uh, really oppressive and so on. And um, not only that, but uh, Birmingham was known as, United Kingdom's second city, meaning it's the second largest city in the British Isles. But having said that, it's not really a British city. It's more like an international city. Birmingham's got over 180 different nationalities there officially. And uh, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find an English person in Birmingham these days. Um, When I've been now, I've been struck by how many Hindu temples, uh, Buddhist temples, Buddhist idols, uh, all kinds of uh, everything from mosques and so on. But uh, it's extremely diverse. And the few churches there are really struggling, and many of the church buildings have been uh, sold and have been used by something else and even other religions. So Birmingham is um, a, quite a cosmopolitan, melting pot, um, multicultural, uh, interfaith kind of situation. Uh, but, okay, so Birmingham is where they chose to host the Commonwealth Games. Now bear in mind that most of the people coming from different Commonwealth countries around the world actually um, would be more Christian and uh, more traditional and, uh, for example, 36 of the uh, Commonwealth countries ban homosexuality. Uh, but Birmingham, of course, makes a big thing of promoting LGBTQ and their police uh, often take part in the pride marches and have uh, gay pride uh, colours around their police cars. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's a pretty bizarre, strange uh, thing. Uh, Birmingham's not exactly the place where uh, you're going to get traditional cultures. Uh, for example, not only the Raging Bull, but... The opening ceremony, which was very long and dragged out, included a massive lemon hot air balloon with some drag artists uh, coming in. And the um, designer, the event's artistic director, Iqbal Khan, who's from Pakistan, uh, he said, um, we have amazing dream sequences, cultural parables, and humor, massive subversive humor, and Yes, I think he's been quite honest and open there. It is subversive and it's, it's massive. <laughs> the bull was hardly subtle. Um, I mean, it's massive indeed. Everything about it was massive. And you could just see they had a lot of funding. I mean, this sort of e- event cost millions. And uh, uh, by the way, I don't know that it's much of a heritage because this raging bull, it symbolizes um, the history of having a bull ring market where bulls were uh, literally led to the slaughter and they had bull baiting as a popular spectator sport where a defenseless bull was chained up and uh, dogs would attack it. Uh, In the bizarre idea that this would tenderize the meat, but uh, bull baiting was uh, stopped then in 1798, but it's just... um, Hardly the sort of thing you'd want to remember or or celebrate. It's it's kind of a disgusting thing. And if you look at the pictures of this Birmingham Bull Bull, um, he's got a big ring through the nose. So it's it's right there with this whole bull baiting symbolism from the past. But even that, that's if you remember it, it should be in shame and uh, that there was such a thing as bull baiting. But that still doesn't explain why everyone's dancing around, bowing down, someone's riding him, which would never normally have been done back in the past. So I don't know if they can talk about this being the heritage because this was obviously, it was dark. There was lots of red uh, smoke coming out the nose and tears of blood coming out the eyes. And honestly, you just have to look at the pictures, the colour scheme. It looked dark. It looked ominous. It looked evil. Um. Yeah, one could say that
0: Birmingham is a poster child of the New World Order, being a so-called diverse and sort of interfaith city. Mm. Um, it's interesting that the Raging Bull uh, prop um, or, or, or sculpture was described as iconic by the media. For mm. example, the Birmingham Mail described it as the iconic super prop that stole the show. The, wor- the word icon has a loaded history in Christian history and with the Reformation, for example, Um It's a word connected to idolatry, is it not? It is,
1: and that's the reason why the reformers um, are pulled down, uh, pulled out and smashed in many cases the idols and icons of the uh, Roman Catholic Middle, Middle Ages time because we don't want to have anything idolatrous in the worship of God. And so, again, some people may say, oh, you know, it's just art. Well, if it's art, why would you be bowing down to it? again uh, this is beyond art this is this is idolatry in a real sense so I think the whole imagery and amount of size it's not like they just had some happy little a cow or bull picture uh, on the programs or something like that and some little fluffy animal that the kids could buy at the stalls. Uh, This was something that took a vast amount of money, time, energy and effort and it could have still had a friendlier picture but it looks occultic, it looks dark, it looks menacing, it looks uh, almost satanic in in the whole imagery and again the amount of people dancing around and giving offerings. You can only wonder what image are they trying to communicate because if they're Uh, Director of the whole program, Iqbal Khan, could say we are employing massive subversive humor and cultural parables. Hmm. Well, a parable communicates some essence of truth. So what truth were they trying to communicate by this? And subversive humor? Well, it certainly was massive. It probably was subversive because it managed to get hundreds of millions of people throughout the Commonwealth to participate in, even just as a spectator, an act of worship which the bulk of people in the Commonwealth countries wouldn't adhere to, but apparently the elites who might well be Sabbataeans and Satanists and occultists themselves, uh, they're actually probably having a big laugh at the expense of the Christians, that they're getting a lot of at least nominally Christian people to participate with them in something that's blatantly anti-God and breaking of the second commandment. Mm,
0: Subversive to the core, and these uh, creative uh, directors would be very well versed in symbols and symbolism, and they surely would research Uh, the meaning of a symbol before they use it, especially in such a large scale.
1: Yes, uh, I mean, we may think that this is something that somebody might have done in their spare time, uh, but it is very noteworthy that people like Iqbal Khan are full-time major events organizers. So apparently there's enough major events to justify a person making that his entire career. And so you can imagine this person with the amount of budget they've got, they might have been working on this thing not just for weeks and months, might have been working on this ceremony for years. Uh, I think they start planning for the next uh, uh, event straight after the Commonwealth Games or or the um, Olympic Games comes. So, yes, you can imagine a lot of thoughts taking place and the people putting up the money would have obviously had maybe some expectations, some requirements, some request, or at least some input into how to shape it. So uh, I don't think this is in any sense accidental. This isn't like some volunteer put something together on Friday night. Um, this is something that a lot of professionals put a vast amount of time and some people put tens of millions of pounds into creating this. And what is the message they're trying to communicate? Well, just as uh, as a Um, distant observer, it looks to me like they're trying to unite the world, or at least their world, in occultic, satanic worship, Baal worship for the 21st century.
0: Can you by any chance provide any other examples where the globalists have used these international spectacles to promote idolatry? What about the Olympic Games or any other sporting events?
1: Oh, I think the opening events of the Olympic Games have gotten increasingly occultic. There's uh, one of the most extreme I ever saw was the one that was up in uh, the um, uh, in Athens. Oh my, the Athens one was—they went berserk with. Zeus and Diana worship and uh, bring Apollo and all the different uh, idols of of Greek mythology into it and it it was blatantly occultic but even the Barcelona Games uh, 1992 there was a huge amount of occultic symbolism Uh, in some places it just seems to get darker and darker Um, uh, that wasn't totally so when it came to uh, the uh, Russian Winter Olympics Uh, although they had some pretty big spectacles it seemed to be celebrating more their culture with a lot of the churches and so on, which is not what came in the London Olympics. (laughs) uh, They were lifting up national uh, health, which uh, socialized medicine. And uh, uh, honestly, uh, most people in Britain thought, is that something we're proud of? Uh, But uh, Christianity obviously wasn't part of it. And uh, at least some places will lift up their, their national religion like Russia. But unfortunately, the Western countries are embarrassed that they've had any Christian roots. And they turning around to paganism and to, to occultism. So the Olympic Games have seen spectacular, mega-idolatrous events, and I think we've just got to recognise that um, uh, this is trying to openly either prepare the world or soften the world or conscientize the world to be able to accept antichrist-type occultism, uh, along with the Sabbataan movement to abolish all nations and to abolish all religions. But... Um, uh, And also to get people to compromise because, bear in mind, idolatry brings a curse on one. In fact, idolatry is one sin in Ten Commands where God implies that the people who participate in idolatry hate him. Can you provide more explanation of what an idol
0: is? Is it always a three-dimensional object? Does it always represent an animal?
1: No, no, not at all. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of idols if we just... I think, I mean, many times we think of three-dimensional creatures when you think of, for example, Baal and Asher poles, and the Buddhist statues and Hinduism's Kali and Shiva and Krishna and Vishnu statues. So in Hinduism, you can see visible idols. Um, bear in mind, Baal altars were actually for human sacrifice and uh, all the religions in the New East engaged in human sacrifice. They had fertility cults, they had prosperity cults, they believed to be prosperous. You had to sacrifice your firstborn, uh, bring them to the altar, hand them over to the priest of Baal or priest of Moloch, who carried them up and laid them in the arms of a big statue, brass or stone statue, which then from a hole in its chest belched out flames and consumed the child. But today, uh, idolatry, you could see in, for example, uh, the abortion clinics of today, that's human sacrifice. And it's been proven and documented in the Abortion Matrix film that many of the Wiccan cults and pagan cults and even satanic covens are uh, mirror-imaged in the local abortion clinic, and they showed cases where the local Wiccan or pagan or satanic coven, and they've got their whole group and their website, their Facebook page and so on, they're the entire staff of the local Planned Parenthood abortion clinic, and, you know, the high priestess is the director of the clinic and all the way down, so... Uh, and they had testimonies from people who were whistleblowers that had come out and said, yes, you know, uh, we saw it as, as actually worshipping Satan to kill the innocent of all and shed innocent blood. So to us, the abortions were uh, sacrifices. So, you know, there's that. But there's also false religions. Every false religion has a false theology, a false form of redemption, atonement or salvation. They've got a false view of the future, a false mission, a false understanding of man and of God. They replace the true God with false gods. Replace the Messiah with false messiahs. And uh, uh, so if you think of modern idols, um, immediately I've got to think of communism. Um, You just think of May Day, uh, uh, March past Lenin's tomb. Now there's idolatry. Uh, For decades, communists have marched past or walked into Lenin's tomb to see the object of their worship, their their dead god, uh, Lenin. And uh, uh, literally, you had tens of thousands of statues of Vladimir Lenin and also Karl Marx and, and other Marxists around the Soviet Union. 22,000 of these m- monuments were pulled down, by the way, when the Soviet Union fell. And uh, to idolize a bloodthirsty, mass-murdering Marxist like Lenin, um, uh, absolutely shocking. And uh, uh, I've been to the site of Samora Michelle's plane crash, uh, eastern Transvaal, um, in Pumalanga, very close to the Mozambique border in Lombombo Mountains. And it's called a shrine. In fact, Nelson Mandela died. Uh, called it a shrine, he said, in the shrine to honor uh, forever Samora Michelle, where his Tupelov plane smashed into the ground. And uh, interesting, they called this, they consecrated this shrine to honor Samora Michelle forever, quote unquote. Well, you can go to the Washington Mall and the center of Washington, D.C. in America, and you'll find the biggest, most outrageous temple to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I walked into this Lincoln temple, and it declares... Big and bold, carved into stone or marble, in this temple, enshrined forever the memory of Abraham Lincoln, who saved the Union. I mean, this is religious terminology. And, you know, saved temple enshrined forever. Um, so, but the size of this is obscene. It's like the size of the statues of the pharaohs of Egypt, uh, who were also worshipped as gods. It's even larger than the massive idols in the Soviet Union that they made for the commissars. Now, if you go to Western Europe, to Christian countries, you'll see statues that are generally two and a half to three and a half times the size of a person. That's standard. But when you get to 12 to 20 times the size of a person's statue, like the, the pharaohs in Lincoln, then you know you're dealing with mega idolatry. And this isn't just a historic monument. Lincoln's temple's actually a shrine. And Lincoln, Lenin, Samora Michelle statues, they're all place of pilgrimage for idolaters worshipping false gods. But... Um, uh, bear bear in mind that we've got other kind of idols too. And uh, I, we've got TV programs called Idols. We speak about sports idols, music idols, pop idols, sex idols, political idols. And so there is a, no doubt there's a lot of idols out there. And, uh, you know, to have people thinking, you know, I can't believe those people of Israel were tempted by idols. And, you know, to think that… Uh, People in Phoenicia used to bow before idols. We'd never do anything that stupid. We'd never sacrifice our children, would we? Oh, gee, I've got to have an abortion. It's going to interfere with my studies. And uh, so in our society today, I think there's a lot of idolatry. In fact, maybe our society is more guilty of idolatry than even the people back in the times we are reading about in the Bible.
0: Earlier you mentioned that um, the the, the women that were bowing towards this uh, raging bull there was a sort of a sort of reference to the old priestesses who had a who were sort of prostitutes in the in the temple, mm. and um, I mean bull. The bull is a very potent fertility uh, symbol, and would Baal not have also had that sort of sim- symbolism in the Bible?
1: Yes. So so Baal was definitely a um, a, a prosperity cult. So the idea was if you wanted to have big herds and. The bigger your herds and the more cattle you had, of course, the richer you were. So it's a symbol of, of your wealth, which it still is in many parts of Africa today, which is why, for example, Ebola is the amount of bulls. Um, I've been asked, you know, um, how many uh, cows did you pay for your wife? And uh, uh, my response was, um, my wife's cost a whole herd. Um, and I'm still paying for... Um, <laughs> you couldn't say nothing. I mean, like, bog you know, bargain base were not even worth a chicken, a goat. Um, so... Uh, they need to understand that, you know, we value our uh, wives and um, they cost a whole lot more than just a um, uh, a couple of cows. Uh, (laughs) But uh, this is why the bull is being worshipped here because the idea is if you worship the bull you will have many more calves, many more cows. You'll have bigger herds. And uh, if you can sacrifice your firstborn child in particular, that'll really uh, get you in the good um, graces of, of this, uh, graces are the right word, um, of, of Baal, and therefore you're going to really get, get wealthy. So yes, a Baal worship um, was definitely a prosperity cult which involved human sacrifice, but the promise was prosperity, bigger herds. So yes, fertility cult indeed. You said um, two
0: interesting things. Um, You mentioned that Baal worship was a prosperity cult. You mentioned that uh, Baal worship is a prosperity cult, which is interesting um, considering that Baal worship is being perpetuated in our times, as we see at the opening ceremony at Birmingham. Does this tell us anything about the motivations of the people organizing this modern-day Baal worship?
1: Yes, well, I think the finances are definitely the banksters, you know, the banker gangsters uh, who perpetuate so many of the wars and keep people in bondage and slavery, just like the chains symbolized with those poor woman symbolizing pulling the, the beast, uh, this um, a raging bull into the arena there in Birmingham. And uh, yes, uh, I, I think that many of the people behind us are occultic. Uh, Many are actually Sabbateans, and we've spoken about this, 1666, and uh, the Sabbatean movement of Sabbatei Zevi, and uh, how many of the most powerful people in the world today in terms of uh, banking, finance, and so on, uh, actually are of the Sabbatean belief, which is that salvation comes through sin, redemption comes through deception. And uh, what they are trying to do as one of their key goals is to break down every religion and every nation on earth and replace it with a one world uh, state, a one world uh, government, uh, interfaith worship, very much like Revelation 13 speaks about. And you can see also the Marxist manifesto is basically mirroring, it's a mirror image of the Sabbataean goals of 1776, where uh, their goals were exactly as uh, the Sabbataean movement had, had given is what – 1848, uh, the Marxist Manifestos. So you begin to understand the motivations. That what the people pushing this are the people pushing for one world interfaith religion, one world government, one world economic system. Which, if you read Revelation 13, rings a lot of bells. <laughs> you begin to see, oh, uh, that's where they're going. This. This is not just art. Remember, art can be for worship, for devotion. It can be for education. It can be for inspiration. But a lot of art is used for propaganda too. And this is propaganda, and in fact, this is even religious propaganda for a false religion, for Sabotanism, for occultism. And a lot of the New World Order are into this. And remember, they, they're finding Christianity a great inconvenience because Christianity points to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Uh, you'd have no authority unless delegates from you above, and it's a point that a man wants it off. after the judgment. The last thing they want to do is, is confront the fact that uh, they will be answerable to the creator, the eternal judge and they have judgment and that he has given us laws by which to run the world today because that's not what they want. And so to try and distract people and subvert people and hopefully uh, compromise people and drag them into the occultism or at least deaden their conscience so that they don't think there's anything too serious about it. This has got serious political goals. What they're trying to do basically is uh, push out the competitor, Christianity and bring about a one-world, idolatrous, occultic system where where you are not going to be standing up and saying something like, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand, I can do no other. That's the last thing they want. They don't want any more Martin Luther's uh, reformations and and people who say, well, what, what does the scripture say? They don't like sola scriptura at all. So what you've got here is a real... Um, A political play, a religious play. Uh, This is a goal to shackle people's hearts and minds. It's a battle for the minds, a battle for the heart. It's part of World War of worldviews. You can see we're in a cultural battle here. And the goal is to take civilization off its Christian roots, which would actually kill civilization the way we understand it. It's to bring about a new world order.
0: Yeah, this is actually a very interesting um, um, phenomenon. I mean, On one hand, they're disguising or deceiving the populace, but on the other hand, they're actually um, saying out loud what they actually want to achieve. So um, would you agree that there's a connection between idolatry and political power um, generally, historically, in the Bible, present day times?
1: I would say so, yes. And I mean, just just think of um, the second command, forbidding us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20 to 22 says, Rather things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they do not sacrifice to God, they sacrifice to demons. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 1 Corinthians 10. Well, the second command forbids all idolatries. And uh, whether that idol is Lenin or Lincoln or Churchill or Mandela, or Gandhi, or Mao, or Marx, or Ceausescu, or Martin Luther King Jr., or, or a Buddha, or Muhammad uh, or Gorbachev. I mean, all these are idols, and uh, we cannot give ground in our heart uh, to what should only have, uh, uh, God should be the only one who has our heart affections. And so it's one thing to remember, or to learn from, or to recognize the good and the bad in human leaders, and there's good and bad in all, uh, because uh, we're fallen creation, therefore there's evil in the best of us, and there's good even in the worst of us because we are fallen creation. There's good in us because we create by God. There's evil in us because we are fallen. And so uh, we should never make an idol of any human being because every human being has got some feet of clay. And, uh, yes, I'm afraid this is the thing. Those who are advocating salvation by politics— just vote for our party and you will be saved. Just vote for this legislation, you'll be saved. Just elect this prison and you will be saved. Well, that's false. That's that. Those are political idols. And um, uh, I think it's extremely serious. And if we would just see what the Bible says about adultery, we would want to stay far from it.
0: Um, something that you touched on, which is quite disturbing, is you mentioned that there's an element of sacrifice involved in Baal worship. Um, and you did, you did mention um, abortion clinics, but... Do you think there's what else? Do you think the globalists um, are sacrificing on the altar of uh, this prosperity cult?
1: Well, certainly families. <laughs> they do not want families. They do not want fathers. Uh, what what the new world order is trying to do right now very much is to uh, substitute the state for the father and uh, for uh, for God and for the family. Uh, you must just. Trust in the government, trust in the state. Uh, the state will raise, uh, and whatever you need, uh, of course, they're the ones creating the shortages of everything from water to fuel, whatever it is they're creating the, the problem. But trust in the government. They're the very ones who cause the problem are the ones who are going to solve the problem for you. Just just trust in the government. Give us more money. Uh, give us more votes. Uh, keep voting for us, of course. Um, and uh, we'll solve your problems, even as they create the problems that they claim to be the solution to.
0: Is there a relationship between idolatry and the occult? Are they one and the same thing? Could we even uh, talk about uh, an element of demonic possession? Is that going too far?
1: No, it's not going too far. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 20 to 22 uh, makes it clear that uh, uh, those who are sacrificing to idols are actually sacrificing to demons. And uh, idol worshippers are actually... um, worshipping what is behind that idol. Now, you could say, well, that idol's nothing, but there's a power behind these idols. And this is an ongoing emphasis in the Bible. In fact, we're told in the Bible uh, that uh, uh, to uh, commit adultery is to commit spiritual adultery. And God is a jealous God, and it's an ongoing emphasis in the Bible. If you worship anyone other than God, that's adultery. If you put anything as central in your life other than God, you're opening yourself up to demonic influence and demonic deception and demonic possession. And this explains why so many people today are so irrational, so immune to logic, so resistant to facts and logical explanations. Their minds are made up. They're so angry. You're not allowed to take their precious idols away from them. It's like a dog who's got a dry bone and he's refusing the steak you're offering him. He's got this flea-bitten, dirty old bone. He's convinced that if you try and take it away from him, he's going to lose the most precious thing in his life. And meanwhile, it's been gnawed to death. There's nothing left of it. It's dry, it's dusty, piece of bone with disease on it maybe, but he wants this and he'll reject a good stake for it. And many people are like this. It's, it's not logical, but uh, it's in many cases demonic. People love death. In fact, you can see in the scripture it says, those who hate me love death and those who hate God do love death. And amazing, why would somebody want a dead religion of a dead Vladimir Lenin or a dead Abraham Lincoln? or any of these flawed characters that the world lifts up as idols, just like lately it's uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, Uh, why would we worship them when we've got a risen Savior and an empty tomb in Jerusalem? Uh, Therefore the Lord commands, Exodus 34, you shall destroy the altars, you shall break the sacred pillars, you shall cut down the wooden images, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And uh, Jeremiah actually uh, mocks them. He says, the children gather wood. The father's kindle the fire. The women knead the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. They pour out their drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man. On, a, on the trees, of the field, and the fruit, of the ground, it will burn and not be quenched. That's in Jeremiah 7. And so time and again God warns his people, if you continue in adultery, I will withdraw my hand of protection. I'll lift my hand of blessing. I will no longer protect Jerusalem. I'll allow the whole of Jerusalem to be destroyed, including his temple. The temple dedicates his name. His people, whom he redeemed from Egypt, from the hand of Pharaoh, from slavery, are the bondage of Egypt, who brought them through the Red Sea, provided for them in the wilderness, to whom he had given the Ten Commands, the people he had trained and prepared and for whom he had sent the prophets. He would abandon them and curse them curse the city, curse the country, curse the temple to unquestionable flames till it was all destroyed. Why would he do all this? Jeremiah tells us because of idolatry. So idolatry deserves to be mocked and it will be destroyed uh, because God hates idolatry and God says people who commit idolatry hate him.
0: Um, Would uh, Jeremiah be redundant in the modern church or does he have a message for the modern church?
1: Oh, I'm afraid we've got a lot of idolatry even in the modern church. And it's not just that we can uh, point this out if we go to Roman Catholics. I mean, Roman Catholicisms often place their Pope and their Mary in the place of Christ. And Mary's called the co-redemptrix and the co-mediatrix and her sufferings. And seeing her son down cross has won our salvation along with the sufferings of Christ. So papists believe You cannot go to Christ as he's angry with you. You have to go through Mary. You have to pray to Mary. You have to intercede with her, and she will intercede with her son to answer your prayers. So they've put Mary and the Pope and the saints, and the Pope claims to be the vicar or the mouthpiece of Christ, ruling in the place of Christ on earth. And so Christ is removed from being the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father but by me. But there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So by focusing on Mary and the Pope, by sleight of hand, Papists have given us a false gospel a false Christ, a false authority, and a false way of salvation. And then you get some churches where instead of reading and studying and explaining the Bible, they come out with, I have a vision, I have a dream, and uh, yea, verily, forsooth, behold, thus saith the Lord, last night the fullness of the Godhead bodily appeared to me, and God said to me, and I said to him. And you've got all, again, they've, they've pushed the Bible to one side and Christ to one side, and they've brought in now something completely different. So, yes, I think we do have in many churches— Today, we've got a false Christ and a false mission, and we've got uh, a a false salvation. And uh, many churches have basically pushed Christ out of the way. And um, yes, I I do believe that we need to be warned in our churches that there's a lot that we can do that's idolatrous. That's why the five solas of the Reformation are so important. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone is ultimate authority. Solos Christus, Christ alone is the head of the church. Sola gracia, salvation is by the grace of God alone. Sola fitti, salvation is received by faith alone. And solidia gloria, everything must be done to the glory of God alone. And uh, I think those five solos help keep us on the true biblical reformed p- path and uh, protect us from sliding into idolatry.
0: Um, earlier you mentioned um, Gorbachev. Um, are you suggesting that political figures and... Modern political ideologies can be considered uh, idolatrous?
1: Very much so. I mean, just look how much people speak about Hollywood idols and music idols, and of course we certainly have political idols, and uh, I know several good examples, and uh, there was was one case of a friend in Durban who at university was referring to the president of the country and used the word Mbeki, and uh, one man got enraged and screamed at him, that's President Tabu Mbeki to you. Well, that same person who rebuked him for using the, just the surname of the president later took the Lord's name in vain and our friend was able to say, um, excuse me, that's the Lord Jesus Christ to you. And uh, most people will be blind to the fact that, you know, blasphemy uh, is such a crime. And yet you just think the Christians who say nothing when the Lord's name is taken vain around them, they just keep quiet. But if you criticize a favorite political team, their favourite Hollywood sports idol or their favourite politician suddenly Chernobyl explodes and they've got they so they're so ready to defend Mandela or whatever but they're not willing to defend the Lord well that shows that's an idol if you will f- defend an argument some sportsman or some Hollywood uh, actor uh, more than you will Lord Jesus well that's obviously more important to you
0: what about historical events can they also
1: become idols yes uh, I think a classic example would be the uh, um, Bastille Day, 14th of July in France. Now, there they are celebrating something that's a myth based upon a lie. Uh, There were no political prisoners in the Bastille. Nobody was freed on (laughs) Bastille Day. The 14th of July was actually quite a treacherous uh, evil day um, when they were trying to storm this fairly worthless um, medieval castle, which was already redundant and and no longer of any real value. Um, The uh, governor of the castle... Uh, was asked to um, hand over in in exchange for guarantee of safe conduct. And so they were given that guarantee of safe conduct. But the moment they opened the gates and lowered the drawbridge and raised the portcullis and and allowed the mob in, the mob immediately beheaded them all and carried their heads around on spikes. So, so much for safe conduct. Now, why would you celebrate that? And then you can think Youth Day in, in South Africa, 16th of June, 17, 1976. 1976, Youth Day, Soweto Writes. What's it to celebrate? It was an anti-Christian day, well documented by Dorothy Mission, who was based in Soweto at the time, and we've got the book Soweto But God, available as a free ebook or PDF on, on our website. People can go on and check Soweto About God. It was an anti-Christian revolution. They were burning churches, they were attacking Christians, and it was satanic. Uh, one of the first victims of this youth uh, revolution, as they called it, on the 16th of, of June, was a missionary uh, who was killed, cooked, and eaten on the sidewalk. And so literally uh, for cannibalism and butchery and savagery and murdering of Christians and burning down of churches, uh, people are celebrating Youth Day. Of course, most people who do this don't know that. They don't realize what the real history is. But this is what happens when you get a romanticized, propagandized mythology built around some certain day and event. And next thing you've got idolatry and um, I don't know that it's, uh, it's not something I ever want to celebrate, but that's why we prefer to expose the French Revolution and the uh, so-called Soweto, um, they're called Youth Day, but Soweto riots might be more accurate. But an anti-Christian revolution is what the Dorothea Mission in their book, Soweto, but God documents. And let's be very careful that we don't find ourselves committing idolatry with our country because it must never be my country right or wrong. It must be God's word. And the King of kings and Lord of lords uh, is our first allegiance. And if my country is wrong, I must uh, acknowledge it and when necessary repent. Dr. Hammond, can you just um,
0: restate the name of that book about Soweto? And can you also tell us about any other resources you might have uh, to assist people in understanding um, idolatry?
1: Yes. Well, first of all, I've written the the book, uh, The Ten Commands, God's Law of Perfect Liberty. And that's in English and in Afrikaans. In fact, it's in two editions and second editions, much bigger. Uh, so, um, the Ten Commands, this expounds on each one of the Ten Commands, shows what are the sins forbidden, what are the duties required. And uh, it's got the scriptures, got the facts, and then it applies it to our present age. And uh, the chapter on, on adultery is, is one of the biggest because it's one of the most relevant. And uh, the book on Soweto is Soweto, but God. And you can go onto the www.frontlinemissionsa.org website, and you'll go right to the bottom page, and we've got a whole lot of free PDF books. It means you can click on it and totally free, you can uh, have the whole book there. Uh, we've uploaded for that purpose, and there's a, a whole lot of great books available, discipleship materials available, and um, if you if you want to look for teachings on idolatry, uh, there's the ex- expounding of of this from the scripture. And you will see we've got audio, we've got video, we've got PowerPoints, um, all available on our sermon audio links or on our slideshare links, or uh, you can find it on on the uh, Frontline Mission Essay.org website. And also, all of our Bible studies are on livingstonfellowship.co.za website, and you'll find that a good resource to expose a lot of the modern. Um, idolatries that we've got. I think it's so important that we understand what the Word of God says and that we, ex- we recognize where these commands are being broken in the world today.
0: Thank you, Dr. Hammond, for providing your learned insight into the recent events in Birmingham and, for, uh, and on idolatry in general. In closing, I'd just like to mention a few words from 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, where John beseeches, "'Little children, keep yourselves from idols.'" Thank you very much for joining us from the, for, from the front line. God bless and good night.